Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my girlfriend, Carol. How are you doing today, Carol? Hey, what's up? How much? It's been a good week here. It is January 24th, 1998. It is. We're going through 98. We're almost a month in. I know. 98. I feel like we're like speeding through it somehow. 98. Almost a month in. Well, let me tell you who's been speeding. Okay. Now, I'm going to warn everybody. We don't typically talk about politics here. Uh, and sorry. talk. Sorry about talking about politics, everybody. But uh, better be sorry. Some people hate it. But uh, this looks like it might turn into some kind of story. So I figure we should mention it at least. Okay. Looks like President Clinton uh, has there. There's evidence that he has had an affair with a White House intern named Monica. Lewinsky. Lewinsky. Are they seriously putting that in the newspaper? Yeah. It says Clinton fights allegations. Outraged president denies affair. President Bill Clinton facing allegations of sexual misconduct and possible obstruction of justice emphatically denied allegations Wednesday that he carried on an 18-month sexual relationship with a White House intern in her 20s. And then tried to persuade her to lie about it under oath. Okay. So, it sounds more like something that would be in a tabloid instead of a newspaper. And they're saying sexual misconduct. She's not saying he raped her or anything, right? Like, it's just they had an affair. Like, why is that sexual misconduct? I mean, like, yeah, okay, he's married, but... Yeah, I mean, that's what it's... that. That's what I've, that's what I've got so far. That's uh, weird. It says, let's see, an unhappy Clinton appeared on television and radio late Wednesday afternoon to deny the allegations, which are reportedly under investigation by White House Independent Counsel Kenneth Starr, two R's. Um, the charges are not true, and I haven't asked anybody to lie, Clinton said. Okay. So that is going on with the President of the United States, Monica Lewinsky. I, I don't I don't see why we should care, do you? Nope. Like, what he does with his penis, as long as it doesn't affect, like, our day-to-day, I'm good. I don't care. It just looks hot, though. Uh, <laughs> good to know. Anyway, so, uh, let's see. Under heavy fire. Let me give you just some, some people in this whole thing here. Uh, Monica Lewinsky, obviously. Uh, the 24-year-old former White House intern remained at her mother's Watergate Watergate apartment Thursday. Her deposition is scheduled for today in the Paula Jones sexual harassment case against President Bill Clinton has been postponed indefinitely. Paula Jones? Yeah, that was somebody that, uh, like, he supposedly has sexually harassed, and I, I think that's what Kenneth Starr was actually investigating. Hmm. Uh, Linda Tripp, or sorry, Linda Tripp, two Ps. Uh, the 48-year-old woman who sparked the firestorm by recording conversations with her co-worker, oh, Lewinsky, remained behind closed doors. There's a divorced mother of two, and her motivation remain enigmas. 
Hmm. So she recorded conversations. That she, that's how this got out. It was girl talk. And she was like, let me bring a tape recorder to girl talk. That's ridiculous. Isn't there a tape recorder in the game, girl talk? There, there is. Okay. <laughs> that's weird. President Bill Clinton. Do you know who he is? The president <laughs> denied in the strongest terms yet that he had an affair with Lewinsky or that he had told her to lie about it. The 51-year-old president said Americans have a right to ask questions and get honest answers about the allegations. Then there's Vernon Jordan Jr., the president's close friend, a 62-year-old New York lawyer and former Urban League president, said Lewinsky told him she never had an affair with Clinton. He flatly denied he ever told her to lie about it. Okay. And then we have Kenneth Starr, an independent counsel, a 51-year-old Texan. Oh, great. And former, no, no offense, Texas, and former federal judge promised Thursday he would move quickly to learn whether he, Clinton told Lewinsky to lie about an affair. Okay, so there you go. That is the, uh, and President Clinton says he promises candor. So the big issue here is that they're saying he told her to lie, not that he had an affair. Yeah, basically, yes. Okay, well, like. Of course, any dude who's cheating on his wife is going to, like, try to cover it up. And, like, I don't think that means ruin his whole life. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, no stranger to sexual scandal. Yeah. All right. But speaking of someone who's probably not having sex with a (laughs) 24-year-old Washington intern, Ben Affleck. Well, flex. I think he could be having sex with anybody he wants to. Oh yeah, but a twenty-four-year-old Washington intern? Why not? I mean, probably, probably. I'm just saying he's probably not. Okay. Uh, Affleck long, sent, or sorry, strong <laughs> Freudian slip. Sensitive manner wins him star-making roles. It's one thing when you suddenly become so hot in Hollywood that people start calling you the White Will Smith. <laughs> That Ben Affleck can probably handle. It's another thing when you're expected to be an expert on relationships of all sorts. Romantic and platonic, gay and straight. Just because you're turned uh, in convincing performances and movies about love and friendship. Quote, presumably I should know about relationships because on the recent parts I've played, Affleck says, referring to roles in Last Spring's Chasing Amy. We watched that. Mm -hmm. And the recent Going All the Way. I didn't see that. Nope. But we all know that no one has a clue, is what he says. Still, it's easy to see why everyone would expect the 25-year-old to have all the answers. Six foot two, broad-shouldered, and unthreateningly handsome. Affleck is one of those confident, yes, unassuming types who's as appealing to men as he is to women. Do you find him appealing, Mark? I mean, actually, I do, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not in a like a sexual way. Well, no, not in a sexual way. But, uh, but no, he, he's like, yeah, he's, he's charming. He's a charm. Yeah, I guess. I would say that's true. You know what else is not charm? Wow, you got a lot to say about that, huh? <laughs> you seem oddly closed mouth about Ben Affleck. I wouldn't have even noticed it had you not done the, 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 the tiny little drop in where you'd want to be noncommittal about it. <laughs> You got, you got some thoughts about Ben Affleck that you don't want to talk about? Uh, no. All right. Tomorrow's hot, but I don't mind talking about that. 
Tomorrow's news haunts. Nice guy. Unlike the character he plays on early edition, Kyle Chandler knows exactly what he's going to do if he got a copy of Tomorrow's Newspaper today. You ever you heard of this show, Early Edition? No. The premise of this show is this dude gets the newspaper a day in advance. Interesting. And everything that happens in the paper happens in live, real life, so he can prevent it or whatever. Right? Uh, just like you, I'd go down to the Seven Eleven and load up on those lottery tickets. Chandler says with a trace of Georgia good old boyhood lingering in his voice. So he probably said it like, well, "Just like you, I'd go down to the Seven Eleven." Oh, wow. I'll pick up a, a powerful thirst with a big gulp. Um, and I'd probably have a beer while I was doing it. That's not quite the right note for a TV series, especially. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my premise for a TV show. Guy sees the future and uh, doesn't save anybody, but uh, makes himself really rich. Right. I mean, that could be like, you know, day one and then day two he saves people. Right. Uh, an ex-stockbroker, Gary Hobson Chandler, or as ex-stockbroker Gary Hobson, Chandler finds that knowing tomorrow's headlines today is a curse, not a cash-in. His foreknowledge cost him his marriage and career, yet day after day, it compels him to intervene against disasters about to befall his fellow human beings. Wow. Chandler, who played a really nice guy in ABC's short-lived Home Front, came to early edition last season to play a really, really nice guy. I wonder how knowing the future could cost somebody their career and their marriage. It seems like it would do nothing but help you. Right. It's weird. There wasn't an article like, uh, uh, it's uh, Hobson's wife's uh, birthday tomorrow. Don't forget. (laughs) Uh, So he says, this season we've worked it out that Gary really didn't want this thing and it's ruined his life. (laughs) Wow. Now he's somewhat resigned, he says. As an actor, Chandler says he ignores the show's spiritual dimension and the larger questions the paper evokes. Interesting. That is, I certainly don't think the angels or God having a hand in it, he says. It's weird because I haven't watched early edition, although I have heard of it. Uh-huh. But I don't. Yeah, that's that's one thing that they don't explain it, apparently. Like where this newspaper comes from, it's just completely unexplained. Oh, weird. So, yeah. Must I mean, be God. Obviously, people would have theories about it. He says he doesn't think so. But, okay, but he did he write the show? No. So, again, I say, must I, be God. It's just a dumb actor. <laughs> just read his lines. Do what the director says, do what the writer says, and shut up. I mean, it's got to be Kyle like... Kyle Chandler, whoever you are. It's got to be like God or aliens or something. <laughs> What? The, t- the two solutions. God or aliens or something. Well, where else is the future going to come from? Where, how did this water get turned into wine? I don't know. It was God or aliens or something. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's what St. Peter said. <laughs> anyway. Um, so speaking of God or aliens or something, uh, we saw... A movie. Oh, geez. This movie. Amistad. Now, I was tricked into seeing this movie by Carol. What? Because based on the title, I thought this was about Arnold Schwarzenegger claiming paternity over his son. 
What in the actual fuck well, are you talking think about? Think about the title. The title is Amistad. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Amistad. Like, in all seriousness, what the fuck is wrong with you? Come on. <laughs> I thought about that. <laughs> I saw the title of the movie. Um, no, but you want to get real sick, Carol? No. Okay, then fine. I won't say it. <laughs> Go ahead. What? Uh, in Spanish, amistad means friendship. Oh, wow. So their slave ship, where they brutalized people, was called friendship. Well, they didn't brutalize them as much as they did on that first ship. I guess not, but I mean, isn't that the ship where they threw them off with a rock? Yeah, you're right. I guess they were. I guess they were the nice slavers. <laughs> oh, jeez. What stand-up Spanish guys? <laughs> Holy fuck! Yeah, friendship is a it's a very fucked up name for that. So, Amistad, Amistad, um, Carol. Yeah. Uh, what do you want to say about Amistad? What um, did you think? Did, this, you, did you like it? This movie mm-hmm. has changed my opinion about Steven Spielberg. Oh, you don't like his movies anymore? Like, I feel like they should address this movie on Dawson's Creek. I want to hear Dawson's take on this bullshit. <laughs> okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a fantastic movie, honestly. It's very well done. Uh-huh. Interesting story. Turns out it's, you know, at least mostly true. So, yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, they play a little fast and loose with some of the uh, history. Well, yeah. of course. I'm um, a big history fan. So, if you don't like history, um, just tune out when I'm talking. Snoop Carol has to say about the movie. But the very end of the movie, like, pissed me off so bad that, it, like, I, I want to, like, yes. find Spielberg and, like, yell at him at least. Maybe punch him in the face. Also, one of those things that apparently probably isn't true. That just makes it even worse. So it's like, there are rumors that the guy became a slave guy when he went back to Africa. The guy. Yeah, what's his name? The The actor's name. I wrote some names down. Did you? Because I wasn't going to get names right. But his name is J- Jimon ha- Honsu. Okay, that's harder to say than the actual name of the guy in the movie. Yeah, can you remember his name? No. I'm sitting here trying to, and it's pissing me off. started with a C. Yeah. It was like, chill-diddy. Sin something. Sin City. Oh. Charles Sin City. He's, uh, well, he's the main dude. The one that breaks out and saves everybody. Yeah. The guy that killed a lion with a rock. The main character of our movie. Yes. Played by Jimon Hansu. But yeah, supposedly this guy. It's like Sinquiz? Sinquiz? Sinqui? Sink. What? I don't know. <laughs> I wrote down spelling of it, but I don't. It's C-I-N-Q-U-E, but I don't know how you would pronounce that. Sinqui, but that's We just not, saw this movie. Why can't we think? not how they said it. Sinke. 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 Sinke or CK? CK. CK. Okay. Something like that. Sinke or CK. All right. All right. 
Anyway, that's him. CK. So there's there's rumor that he became that he became a slave dude back in Sierra Leone, but that's also I, that's like highly. There's not a lot of evidence of any of that shit. So very difficult to to know. So, like, what did you do? Go to the library and look up shit about Amistad? Like, how do you have all this information? Yeah. So I went to, I got uh, I got a couple books. This is based on a 1987 novel. I read the novel, um, and I, I read a couple books about the, the history of it. Interesting. Yeah. And this this period of, uh, the other thing, too, is, I get, okay, so I, let's, I guess we should, if you haven't seen the movie, I mean, it's, it's a very, very, very good movie. Yeah, go see the movie. It's like two and a half hours long, but it doesn't feel like it. No. It's Spielberg. It's very good, but it's, um, it's sad. So, I mean, it's about slavery. I'm angry at Spielberg by how sad it is. It's not Schindler's List. I don't think it's quite as powerful as Schindler's List. You know, Spielberg has a more of a personal connection to the Holocaust and Schindler's List than he would this subject. Not that he doesn't do a good job of trying to convey it. I think that it's this this movie is brutal at times, but I do believe that there's a I don't want to say a standoffishness, but we get separation. Schindler's List is very visceral and in your face about everything going on. Uh-huh. A lot of the, a lot of the information that we get about the fate of many of these slaves comes from testimony, and it's heard secondhand, and we see flashes of it. So the technique gives it a separation, as opposed to us experiencing it as it happens. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know if that's done on purpose to make this a little more palatable, a little bit easier uh, for people so it's not so gut-wrenching. Um, and I don't know if part of it is because, like I said, I, I think Spielberg being a Jew and knowing people who who survived the Holocaust, and I think I think he had family members, I, but I don't remember. Um, but, you know, being in that community, obviously you know, gets more in the dirt with that movie, I think, than he does this movie. Okay. This movie's a lot of polish, and there's a lot of hard stuff in here, but I, I feel like there's a pane of glass between us and and what's going on. Interesting. Well, I mean, there's a lot of, like you said, we see it in flashes, but like even like the beginning of the movie, the the stuff happening on the ship, there's a storm going on. And it's literally in flashes of lightning, like yes. breaking everything up, making it so hard to see what's going on, making it a little more confusing and chaotic, mm-hmm. which also, I think, saved us from feeling like it was real or like it was as monstrous, the brutality and stuff. Right. Yeah, and that, I think that's part of it, too. The cinematography is not something that I talk about a ton when we talk about stuff, but um, I can't pronounce his name, but it's... Uh, uh, Yanuz, I think, uh, Kaminsky, he did the cinematography for this movie. He does the cinematography for most of Steven Spielberg's movies. It has for many years. Um, and I like the way that the, a lot of the cinematography is very good. I like the way they play with um, with the, the lightning in some of the scenes. In some of the other scenes, though, it, it's the, the beginning, I think, when he's first escaping... I think that's good. And they I think they use some of it 
like you said, to hide some of the brutality. But there are other times when they're we're playing with the lightning where it's like, I'd rather know what's going on. Yeah, it was a little irritating. The other thing I noticed that he did, uh, the cinematographer Kaminsky, that he does a lot, uh, and I just I don't get it, but that's it's the aesthetic that, that apparently he and Spielberg like a lot. Is if you look at the windows, like in the courtroom scene, the Supreme Court scene at the end, the 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 windows are all kind of lit up. They're like they're all blown out with uh, like a lot of light. Like you look at the the window and it's all that's very lit and everything. Okay. Like there's a hot light like right outside the window, and they do that a lot with with window and stuff with windows and stuff like that when they're in different uh, scenes. I've noticed uh, movies of his that that they've worked on together, and that. It's okay, but I don't know that it, it throws me off a little bit whenever I see it because it's very no. I notice it when I see it. Hmm, interesting. Um, but anyway, for the most part, the cinematography is very good. I, it's Spielberg, so you know, obviously, he got some of the best in the business for each of the departments, right? And you know, costume. It's a period piece, so costuming. Makeup, all that stuff. It's all top notch. It's all great. It's going to get nominated for Oscars at the uh, the Academy I'm Award sure, yeah. in all those categories. I don't know if it'll win or not, but it'll get nominated for all those categories. Um, I thought it was very good. I, I the I so hit history wise. Let me get the history stuff out of the way first. I guess since ostensibly we do mostly. Film review. I had no idea that you'd made this such a research project. That's impressive. Well, I knew some of this stuff already. Did you? But, um, so the one thing, the biggest thing to me, and Spielberg seems to like these stories, Schindler's List being an example of, uh, like, little guys or, or seemingly little guys making big moves in history mm-hmm. things happening because of a group of or one or two ordinary people you know doing something and, and changing the world kind of thing this case the amistad case that actually existed it didn't it in this movie it's it's conceptualized as a kind of a turning point or something pushing the United States closer to civil war and stuff like that, or that it's a big like thing for the abolitionist movement. It wasn't. Hmm. It was mostly just a case about property. The, the real crux of the case was, do these slaves belong to Queen Elizabeth? Do, be, do they belong to these dudes that say they bought them? Uh, or are they free because they were stolen illegally from Africa because after 1808, the transatlantic slave trade was outlawed. So I have a question, though. Hmm. Why the United States at all? Like, the the ship was by Cuba. Mm -hmm. They were taken to Cuba. And it's the Queen of Spain who's interested. We didn't have anything to do with the transportation or purchase or any of it, why'd they end up being, you know, at the United States courts? That doesn't make sense to me. So here's the thing that's not explained in the movie Uh that I came upon in my research for this movie. Uh, This, even though the transatlantic slave trade was outlawed in 1808, even during this time, this movie takes place in 1839, 
even during this time period, um, there was still you know people going to like all that stuff about the 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 slave fortress and everything and taking people from Sierra Leone and stuff like that. That all did happen. That was right. stuff that definitely. I mean, this is a true story, and they were obviously stolen. But this is stuff that did happen. But the United States really tried to crack down on this, and so did Great Britain. Great Britain had outlawed this outlawed slavery some, you know, like eighty years prior to this, and because they're shown like blowing up the the fortress and everything when they find it, and they really did try. They outlawed slavery in all their territories, and they not that they're the greatest people in the world or whatever, but they did, and they the the Royal Navy really did try to crack down on importation of slaves and and all this stuff. And I think Sierra Leone was a British protectorate at the time. Um, And so what happened was, in in reality, is they got taken, you know, on that first ship, the Tokoto or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then they got transported to to Amistad because there were just too many slaves and they had to get rid of some of them. They did kill some of them. They had to get rid of some others. And they kind of sold them to the, these other slavers on this boat. And they were coming to Cuba, which is close to the United States. Right. Um, and the United States kept patrols all around the waters, you know, for the Na- U.S. Navy did. The U.S. Navy found this ship. They, oh. after the After the revolt, the U.S. Navy found the Amistad. And they took everyone on board. Uh, they saw the death and everything. They put the 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 you know Africans in chains, and they took them to Connecticut. Oh, okay. So that jail where we first see them apparently was Connecticut. It sure looked like yeah. it was not the United it States. Sure, did not look like Connecticut, but apparently it was. I mean, like apparently it was supposed to be because that's where they were taken. They were okay. taken to Connecticut, and as like this, you know, we found these people, this property or whatever, on this boat. And that's why they were trying to, because the boat was in near Connecticut waters. Well, that makes a lot more sense. So I think that they they just piloted them around. I thought it was just the United States being like, we're the boss of everybody as, right. as usual. But. <laughs> they do mention about Queen Elizabeth II, played by an actress, Anna Paquin, uh, who... Um, was 11 years old at the time. And oh, that's another Queen Elizabeth or Queen. I'm sorry, not Elizabeth. Queen Isabella II of Spain was um, is quite an interesting figure. She became uh, queen at three years old. Oh, wow. And then uh, eventually she had to abdicate the throne because of revolution and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, she was an interesting her like they could make a whole movie about her reign. It's crazy. Yeah, it seemed kind of crazy to me, like that she was so invested in obtaining these slaves. Like she obviously didn't need anything. No, it was more. I think it was more of her consorts too, because when when you're that young, you have uh, consorts to the throne, mm. advisors that that kind of you know like shape you and like you could see him walking around and so like she's reading it, but it's like he wrote it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the letter to the United States. But yeah, she, she was like a child with a toy, you know, that the United States got and she wanted compensation or whatever for it. Right. Right. And cause that's what they, they, cause slavery was legal in Spain at the time as well. 
they were both the United States and and Spain were slave nations. The other thing that they got wrong about so like I was saying that the this wasn't a big thing for slavery really. It was just a property rights. I mean not just because these are human beings, but it was a property rights issue uh, that eventually spoilers they come out on the correct side of history on and let these people go because the United States really did even though they didn't necessarily turn a blind eye even though this shit was happening if slaves got in it's not like they were like oh let's they weren't putting all their resources into ferreting it out but when they found it i mean they did at least try to make sure that the 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 ban on the transatlantic slave trade was kept in place the harbors were closed you couldn't bring slaves into the harbors you had to do it sneakily Mm. you know um but the other thing too is they also show uh, Martin Van Buren, uh, old Kinderhook himself, he was from Kinderhook, New York. Uh, Martin Van Buren campaigning for president. They didn't campaign for president back then. Oh, it was considered ben- it was considered beneath a candidate to actively go out like they they show him on a, like a train tour and shit like that and everything, wanting to be president and stuff. I think they did that mostly just to kind of get that point out there that he did want to win re-election against William Henry Harrison, which he didn't. But um, but no, they didn't actively campaign like that. They show him kissing babies and stuff like that. That would have been considered... Going out and begging people for the vote mm-hmm. during that time period was considered beneath people. Interesting. Yeah, so they, they didn't have presidential campaigns like that back then. I think they might have also been trying to explain why he was not involved hardly at all in what was going on. True. Yep, that's definitely I, true. I guess it's just an excuse then for him not caring. Yeah. So they get, you know, it's so funny to me because Morgan Freeman, Anthony Hopkins, they get top billing in this movie. And they, Above Matthew McConaughey? And they might be, yes, and they might be, they're great actors, no doubt. This is no, like, slight to them or anything, but they might be in the movie the least. <laughs> like, the Demon uh, Hansu mm-hmm. and Matthew McConaughey are, like, the, the, two, the two big ones right. in the movie. Um, but, yeah, uh, the, Anthony Hopkins, an Englishman playing an American president... Which is whatever. I mean, he played Nixon, too, mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. But he was fine. But I, I, it's so funny to me because Anthony Hopkins is a fantastic actor. But dude cannot do anything but his natural Welsh accent. He, <laughs> That's true. He hit it as much as he could. But John Quincy Adams was from Braintree, Massachusetts. I mean, he would have he would have sounded like uh, <laughs> he would have sounded like uh, fucking Will Hunting. You know, I doubt kind of, that. Not not quite. Not like Southie, but not quite that. But you know, not quite Kennedy either. I don't even think like as as eloquent of a accent as Kennedy's. I think somewhere between the two. Okay. But yeah, he would have had a he would have absolutely had a Massachusetts accent, hmm. not the Welsh accent <laughs> that he's got in the movie. Right. But that's the other thing I found fascinating about this on a history-wise. Uh, John Quincy Adams, just a, a fascinating figure in U.S. history. President, for the first president who was related to a previous president, his father, John John Adams. Mm-hmm. And 
like his father, only served one term, was defeated in his reelection. Uh, the only president to, after he was defeated, return to Congress. Oh, wow. He went back and became, was in Congress again. They showed him sleeping in Congress. Yeah, in, I remember in that. The beginning of, uh, of the movie. And then he argued uh, this case before the Supreme Court of the United States. It's a very interesting trajectory. Yeah, you'd think that presidents would be tired and want to retire. <laughs> oh, he was one of those people that, like, he just, the politics was like his life. Yeah. I mean, his dad was one of the founders of the country, and he just grew up in that. And it right. was, like, just part of him. But apparently he also liked uh, growing flowers, too, which I did not know about him. That was, yeah, that was interesting. But... Uh, he did a great job, and Morgan Freeman did a great job as uh, one of the abolitionists who, who was trying to free the uh, these uh, uh, Africans. I, I I keep hesitating to call them slaves because technically they were never in slavery. I mean, they were put in bondage. They, they were kidnapped. They were kidnapped, put in bondage, taken to jail, and then eventually freed. But they were never slaves. They were prisoners per se. Yeah, they they were. They were trying to make them slaves. They were trying to sell them into slavery, but they uh, they didn't. So, which is good. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of what I have to say as far as the history side of things goes. Uh, like I said, they got they got a lot right. They got some wrong, but that's I suppose to be to be expected with a historical you know movie like this. Yeah, well, and like like you said too that um, they speculated. I mean, they said flat out in the movie that when they when he finally gets back, that his village was destroyed mm-hmm. and his family was gone. Yeah, and you said that's not true, right? So, yeah, they fucked around with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and like I don't I don't see the point in that. I mean, that was the last thing they did in the movie. Why take this two and a half hour long journey? Right. And it's ending on this triumphant note. Mm-hmm. And just squash it. I don't know. I don't I don't understand like did they did he not want it to be hopeful? Did he want it to be like, "Oh yeah, and you know, it's still like it's still awful. Like everything about what happened is still awful or whatever." Did they did they hear about the the uh rumors about him becoming a slave trader? And they were like, "Well, we don't want to do that, but what if his what if his family got sold into slavery? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what they. I don't know. I don't know exactly. I can't. I can't tell you the reason. I I think if I remember correctly, it was in the book. Um, but you know, obviously the book's you know not a hundred percent accurate either. Right. So, I don't know. Well, I guess maybe they were just sticking to the story of the book then. Pete Postlewaith was in there as the DA. Uh, he didn't get a lot of screen time, but shout out to him from uh, um, that one Jurassic Park movie that we saw. <laughs> um, and I like him. He's good. He was also in that uh, Usual Suspects movie. Mm-hmm. He's a good actor. Um, and then the other guy I wanted to, I wanted to call out uh, real quick is, it's another name that's going to be very hard for me to pronounce, Ch- uh, Chiwetel? Uh, Edge of Four. Wow. He was the... <laughs> that is he, a hell of a name. He was the, um, the, the sailor who translated for them. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. He Trans- did a really good job, too. Translated Mendy. Yeah, I wanted to call him out, too. I think, believe it's his screen debut. So oh, I wanted wow. to call, you know, I think he did a great job. Not, not necessarily Denzel Washington in glory, because mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to get nominated for an Oscar or anything like that, but it reminds me a bit of that performance, because I, he was understated in the movie, but, um, like... He, what he what he did in his reactions to translating and what what uh, you know the guy's saying, mm-hmm. Sinke's saying, and everything, it just it's all very subtle, but it added so much depth to what was going on. So I, I just think he did a great job with a lot of nonverbal stuff. There was a lot of stuff going on in the court after they had dis- they first of all they didn't even have a translator for the longest time which right. just seems like terrible. But they finally found this guy who speak spoke Mendy which it took them a while to even figure out what language they needed. Right. And then they just learned how to count to 10 and walked around counting till 10 till somebody responded like that that's, that's actually true. Weird. Too. That's actually that's actually a thing that really happened too. But the the lawyer uh wasn't the one who did it. Um one of the abolitionists did. Okay. But, uh, and he just walked around the harbor just counting in those those numbers until somebody recognized it. And it was a sailor who was, you know, from Sierra Leone, was free and everything. Um, and he, like, started talking to him because he recognized his native language. But, um, yeah, they really did that. Well, I mean, and that's that's awesome that somebody had the, you know, thought to do that because certainly the court wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um I, it really bothered me that they only used the translator in the courtroom when they wanted to. Like, yeah. yes. I mean, I realize it's a different time, but like today I would hope that they would translate everything going on so that, you know, people would know what, yeah. you know, they're talking about. Like, I just thought like it was terrible that the only thing they got translated was like questions they wanted them to answer. Like mm. they have no idea what the hell's going on. Yeah. I also didn't find it very believable because they didn't have a ton of interaction with people speaking English that he picked up, you know, just knew how to say, you know, give us free. Like, right. what, what, how do you learn that? Or like the guy with the Bible. Like, I mean, mostly he was just looking at the pictures, but he's like, oh, I'm starting to understand it. Like, and he really? Does, he does pick up the story, like, it, it completely yeah. based on the pictures alone. Yeah, I don't know. And it's like, and he knew that was an afterlife and everything. I thought that was kind of, it was, it, that, you know what, though, was a captivating scene. It did. It, it made, was very interesting. It felt good to watch it. It made me smile. But it just, thinking about it later, seems very unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but apparently they, they uh, Spielberg had them learn uh, the actual African language of Mende. Okay. Which is funny to me. Why? Because, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess I get it or whatever, but. Because it plays an important role in the movie. But, I mean, do you really expect somebody to stand up in the middle of the theater and be like, that's not Mendy, and then just storm out? No, but if somebody does speak Mendy, they'll be super impressed. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, the, uh, what's his name? I almost called him John Wilkes Booth, but it was <laughs> it's Matthew McConaughey. Uh, he kind of looks a little bit like that. Matthew McConaughey, in the movie, I mean, mm-hmm. he plays... Um, Roger Sherman, I can't remember his last name. Hmm. I don't Ban- know either. Bannister or something like that. Uh, but he's a great-grandson, or grandson, not great-grandson, grandson of Roger Sherman, 
who is the only man in American history to sign all four of America's founding documents. Oh, interesting. He signed the Declaration of Independence. He signed the um, the Articles of... Um, uh, it's for the constant... The Continental Congress, the formation of the Continental Congress, the Articles of Formation, I think they call them. He signed those two. He signed the Articles of of, uh, Confederation after the American Revolution, and he signed the Constitution. So he's the only one to sign all four. And he was also from Connecticut. He was a (laughs) cobbler. Hmm. Uh, But yeah, so uh, interesting, interesting stuff there to me. Uh, and the real person. He was older, though. He wasn't like he's portrayed. McConaughey is portrayed like as his character is portrayed like I'm young, I'm inexperienced, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He was like 41 or whatever. He was he was a fairly established uh, lawyer. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did. You know, he he fought for their their freedom, and yeah, I one scene I liked. I, I know we didn't talk a ton about the the nitty-gritty of the filmmaking. But, I mean, it's Spielberg. What what am I going to say? Um, you know what I mean? Like, some people are just born to make movies. Right. Like, some people are just, that's, you know, they just have that eye, and Spielberg does. There's not much to say about it. Uh, but I did like uh, Anthony Hopkins as John Quincy Adams is when he's giving this speech to the Supreme Court. He's talking about how uh, that... When the situation is hopeless, the Mende people, they call to their ancestors, you know, and everything mm-hmm. like that. And as he's saying this, like out of focus, but in the, I pointed this out in the theater when we were watching this, out of focus, but in the background over his left shoulder is a portrait of John Adams, mm-hmm. his ancestor. That was cool. Um, and Adams is one of my favorite founding fathers, so that, you know, that kind of, it, uh, it was a little extra for me. Too, so. I love that you have a favorite founding father. That just says so much about you as a person. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's a great movie. Very emotional. There were some very tough parts to watch. Yes. Yeah, there was you, a lot you, of brutality. You turned away at some of the some mm. of the stuff. Yeah, but, I didn't want to see it. I don't want to. I don't have to relive that. And just like Schindler's List, I, I, it's a great movie. I will yeah. never ever watch it again. Yeah. And like I said, it's one of those ones where it shows the brutality, but I do think there is a bit of a separation there. It almost feels kind of sanitized. Yeah, it, a little. Um, but a great movie, though. You know, I, I liked it. You know what it reminded me of, though? I, I heard this quote recently, and I can't remember where I heard it. I think it might have been in a book, but they found carved in uh, Auschwitz. In the wall, um, if there is a God, he owes me an apology. Oh, yeah. Kind of reminded me of that. It's like, you know, you don't... We sit here in our, like, happy American life with all the privileges and everything. Mm. And then you look back at history and see these terrible things that happen to people. Oh, yeah. And it's frightening. I mean, like, you know, it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem like it could happen. But it it did. Yeah. Know? It reminds me of the the story that you told that you just told me reminds me of one of the uh, forward well, not forwards one of the uh, epigraphs they call it uh, it's a little you know a little blurb basically at the beginning of a book or a chapter from William Styron's Sophie's Choice okay uh, it says um, the uh, you know it's like it's a excerpt or whatever so it kind of starts in the middle but it says um, 
uh, but Auschwitz itself remains inexplicable. The most uh, comprehensive statement on Auschwitz ever uttered uh, wasn't a statement at all, but a question. Uh, The query, tell me, at Auschwitz, where was God? The answer, where was man? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so, you know, that that reminded me of that. uh, But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's another one of those things where it's, um, you know, we talk about the Holocaust, the eradication of the, or the systemic, um, the systemic uh, extinction or, you know, murder of the Native American people and slavery. I mean, those are kind of like the big three human tragedies. Yeah. Like, you know, the big three, uh, and there might be more that I'm not thinking of, but at least in recent history, those are like the big three, um, you know, just like horrible stains on humanity. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure like back in Egyptian times and stuff, like there was a lot of... Yeah, stuff that went yeah. on too. Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot. Not, of, yeah, I'm sure there was a lot of brutality all throughout history, but we're not as familiar with it. Yeah, and I mean those three are just the you know two of them are American, you know the yeah. slavery and the the uh, systemic extinction of uh, the Native Americans. That's what sucks when you like stop and think about the fact that like we're here in this country because of oh yeah all these terrible things that happen to yeah. other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. That is, it, it's not, it's not cool, no. but I mean, you know, and we're also, the United States is not the only country with blood on its hands. I mean, if you, we want to go to the uh, United Kingdom and see all the horrifying things they did throughout the entire world for a long time. I mean, right. you know, theirs might not be as publicized, but it's also really bad. But I mean, as, as painful as it is, it's good that we're looking back on this stuff because we got to learn mm-hmm. from it make yeah. sure it doesn't happen again. Absolutely. But yeah, a great movie. Uh, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I've got to say about it. So you can write us at latefee1994aol.com. Mm-hmm. Check out our website at www.retrolatefee.com. Yep. And share the tapes with your friends. Yeah, and if you go see this movie, don't get fooled. It is not an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie <laughs> about a paternity test. I'm a Oh, my goodness. All right. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.